I was just thinking uh, for a few minutes about the church where I did my internship. We always had an annual Thanksgiving service, but it was at 5 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day because everybody in the area of Zachary, Louisiana, was a hunter, and they wanted to get out immediately after the service. So I remember doing that once and then uh, finishing my internship and saying goodbye. <laughs> I never wanted to do that again. Glad you're here tonight. I want us to focus on a, a favorite story of mine for a few moments, and that is uh, the story of the ten lepers, and uh, recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Let me read these words to you. And it came about that while he was on the way to Jerusalem, that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about it, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, What? Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This story takes place on a reservation of sorts, a border town, or border area, we might say, between Samaria and Galilee. And that should not be surprising because that's where lepers went, to kind of a neutral zone because they couldn't live in the communities where they lived, and so they were forced out to the border area where they could survive. And uh, apparently this is a border town for the both provinces, kind of an asylum for undesirables, if you will. Leprosy, as you know, is one of the worst diseases in the ancient world. It's still around not as much as it used to be, but it eats away at the body. It takes away the tissues. It makes somebody unrecognizable. A very, very miserable disease. And so this was a perfect place for the colony. And one of the things I find interesting about this is that Jesus uh, always has a tendency to go to places where there is pain and hurt. He didn't have to take this particular route. Uh, but when we read verses 11 through 13, it looks like this is exactly where he wanted to go. And uh, the Lord doesn't ever do anything by chance. I believe he had planned an encounter uh, with these individuals that day. And we learn in verse 16 that this band of lepers was a mixed group. We had at least one Samaritan. Apparently, uh, most people believe that the rest of them were conscientious Jews. But whenever somebody got leprosy, it made for strange bedfellows because it didn't matter who you were. You were forced into these border situations and you had to get along in order to survive. Uh, leprosy was a horrible thing, as I mentioned, and if you read Numbers chapter 13 and 14, it's a very uh, terrible disease, but one that has to be dealt with <clears throat> in a certain way. You have to go about and find cleansing, and once you do find cleansing, that's where the real work begins, because you have to go to the priest, and the priest has to do certain things for your body, or if there's a house that leprosy is found inside of it, uh, the priest had to take uh, someone with him and go and examine the whole situation and 
uh, perform certain rites so that the person or the house could be declared clean. And a uh, very lengthy passage in Numbers 14 with all of this. <clears throat> Leprosy also is an outward sign, I think, uh, or an outward picture of an inward reality of sin. I think uh, all sickness ultimately is due to sin. That doesn't mean every time we get sick, it's a result of a personal sin. But if we trace all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, that's when sin entered the picture, and with sin comes every disease there is into the human race. It was a disgrace to have it. You were filled with shame. There was a sense of isolation from the community and uh, from God as well. So this is a very problematic situation. And then notice in verse 14 the remedy to it. Uh, they cry out to Jesus. You know, that's what you need to do whenever you have a severe problem in your life is to cry out to the one who can address it, ultimately the only one who can. But they cried out to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. <clears throat> and Jesus healed the lepers. He said, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And it came about, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, this is very interesting, because earlier in the book, and earlier in the ministry of Jesus, he healed a single man of leprosy. And in that situation, he healed him directly. And uh, he laid hands on him. And he pronounced him clean, which is something that the priests were supposed to do. But here, we don't have a direct healing. It's very, very indirect. Jesus does not heal with a touch, as he did in the other situation. And he makes no pronouncement. He simply tells the men, go and show yourselves to the priests. Why was this healing different? We don't know for certain. We could speculate a little bit. This could be an illustration of the obedience that comes from faith. In other words, the men had to go and obey the words of Jesus before they received healing. Obedience is not in conflict with faith. Real saving faith always demonstrates itself in obedience. That's why James says faith without works is dead. One person can say they have faith and that they trust God, but if they don't act on that faith... We can question whether or not it's really real. Another thing that could have been going on was that Jesus was giving them men an opportunity to return and give thanks, which he clearly expects based on the three questions he asks. We know that Jesus has an expectation of people coming back and saying, thank you for what you did. I think this is also what Jesus was doing. He was giving these men an opportunity to return. He was giving these men the opportunity to say thank you for what you've done. Well, we see the remedy, and then we come to the response, which is the centerpiece of the passage. I have to ask myself the question, what made this man come back? This one Samaritan healed by leprosy. What prompts this man, one out of ten, to come back, fall down, and glorify God by offering overwhelming thanks to Jesus. I believe the man stopped and considered all that had happened to him that day. He had a job to do, and that is he had to go and get ceremonially pronounced clean. And this man was in the worst possible position. Not only did he have leprosy like the other nine, but he was a Samaritan. So he was not only cut off from the Jews, he was cut off really from God. He was pretty far away, in other words, alienated. 
and we assume the other nine were lepers, as I mentioned already, this man knew that Jesus could have healed the nine and left him out. That's what we would expect. That's what a Samaritan would expect. But we know that's not what happened. No, Jesus' actions communicate that God had come close and that the Lord was concerned not only for this man's physical healing, but also for spiritual healing of his soul. This is a beautiful story because it shows that there are no barriers with Jesus with any human being. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, what is in your background. Jesus has a way of destroying all barriers that get in the way between us and him. Another picture of this is the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus broke through every man-made barrier to reach and save an immoral woman. She was a Samaritan, she was a female, and she was immoral. And Jesus did not allow any of that to prevent him from getting close to her and making a difference in her life. So also this man realized all the barriers that Jesus broke through to save him. And he offers worship to Jesus. You'll notice in kind of an awkward way, he fell on his face, verse 16, giving thanks to him. And he came back glorifying God with a loud voice. I believe in the Greek it's something like a megaphone type uh, effect. He was very, very excited, very happy that the Lord had healed him. And the man offered worship. He praised God, and he fell at Jesus' feet. I don't know that this man had his theology correct if he knew that Jesus was God, but the picture that shows this innocent willingness to give thanks is really an amazing picture because whether he knew it or not, he did all the right things. He praised God, and he fell at the feet of Jesus. And he knew, perhaps, that Jesus was God's instrument, at least, if not God's very presence at best. The Lord Jesus extended grace and kindness to this man's life. And the man's physical healing led to a spiritual conversion. The man recognized who Jesus actually is, I believe, God in flesh. And he returned to worship him. And you notice the words of Jesus. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. I believe this man experienced not only physical healing that day, but a greater gift, and that is spiritual healing, that he was given eternal life. And one of the tragedies of this passage is, is that the nine who received the healing in their bodies went on their way. They were at a distance, and Jesus spoke to them, and they stayed at a distance. And a lot of people go through like, like that. You know, we look at the Lord, and we... Uh, our biggest needs so often are external and temporary. Lord, I need help financially. Lord, I need deliverance from this sickness. Lord, I need help with my relationship that's falling apart. Or Lord, I don't have a relationship. I need a husband or a wife. And a lot of people go through life like that. And they stand at a distance from Jesus. The very one that can answer the deepest need of your life. Because the deepest need in your life is not to be healed of a disease. It's not to get financial freedom. It's not to find a spouse. It's not to make an A on a test 
It's not to be successful in your career. The greatest need is down inside of our hearts, and that is we are separated from God because of sin, and we need to be brought back into a relationship with him. We need to be reconciled. And when that reconciliation takes place and you realize that Jesus was not obligated to save you, he was not obligated to reach out to do anything for you, when you realize just what he's done and how many barriers he crossed in order to bring this man into the kingdom, you can't help but give thanks. And my prayer tonight is, is that we all would avoid standing at a distance from Jesus. The nine got what they wanted and left. And so often that's the way we treat Jesus, like a vending machine. We pray for something, he gives it to us, and we go on. And then later on, there's something else that comes up that we need, and something else after that, and something else after that. But what we really need down deep inside is a close, personal relationship with him. Where we realize he is my Savior. He has taken my sin away. He has welcomed me into his forever family. And my sin has been paid for. Jesus wants our hearts. He wants us to be united to him in a personal relationship. And that's what really leads to thanks. That's what leads to true, authentic, thankful hearts. Instead of going through life with a meism. You know, we talk about theism, where we're focused on God. Well, the book of the world goes through the life with meism. And that is, I'm so focused on myself and my needs and getting done what I need to get done that I lose sight. And that's what leads to grumbling and complaining all the time. But if you take your eyes off yourself and you realize what Christ has done, who he is, that leads to a thankful heart. Obedience demonstrates saving faith. But gratitude and thanksgiving also demonstrate saving faith. If you notice that in the New Testament, you'll see these verses all the time. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Colossians 1.11, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. In another place, it talks about offering spiritual sacrifices. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks and praise to his name. If you're genuinely united to Christ, there will be a gratitude inside of you that no matter what your circumstances are, that you'll pull through it and say, Lord, I have much to be thankful for. I have the greatest gift that anyone could ever be given. And that alone makes me grateful. And whatever else happens in my life, I've got to trust you, that you're in control, that you know what you're doing, and that you have a plan that is unfolding, even though I don't understand all the details. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving this year. I hope you have much to be thankful for. And most of all, that you're thankful for a Savior who crosses all the barriers to get to you and bring you into his family by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story. And often we feel so far away, like a foreigner, just like the Samaritan man. And yet you are pleased to bring close to you those that are furthest away. And so I pray tonight, Lord, wherever our hearts are, wherever our circumstances, that you would draw us to yourself. 
that you would knock down every barrier that gets in the way of us being grateful to you for all the good things that you have given to us. And most of all, for that great, great salvation that we enjoy because we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, make it so in every one of our hearts. And we'll give you the praise and glory throughout the holidays for it. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.